Welcome to the Simple Money, Simple Life podcast. I am Matt Erickson, and I'm your host. This is a podcast where we explore how simplicity beats complexity, especially in money matters. We explore investing, personal finance, and how to live a simple and awesome life. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 69 titled The Satisfaction Formula. Hope you're all doing well today and enjoying life, whatever you might be up to and whatever you might be doing. So as we tend to grow older here in the Western cultures, here in the United States, often we generally think that we should have or need to have a lot to show for our lives or like have a lot of trophies, a lot of symbols of our success. Uh, you see a lot of this with people and as they get into their 40s and 50s and 60s as they make more money. Um, according to numerous Eastern philosophies, this is backwards. As we age, we shouldn't accumulate more to represent ourselves, but rather strip things away to find our true selves and thus to find happiness and peace. The Tao Te Ching, a Chinese text compiled around the 4th century BC, that is the foundation of Taoism, makes this point with elegance. Quote, people would be content with their simple, everyday lives in harmony and free of desire. When there is no desire, all things are at peace. Unquote. End of quote. So the secret to satisfaction is not to increase our haves. That will never work, or at least it will never last. This is the treadmill formula. We've talked about the hedonic treadmill in the past that we often return to a baseline level of happiness after we get used to whatever new fun toy or item we get. So this is not the treadmill formula, not the satisfaction formula. The secret is to manage our wants. By managing what we want instead of what we have, we give ourselves a chance to lead more satisfied lives. So staying off the hedonic treadmill was difficult because as we get older, we often have more money. Uh, most people's income tend to trend up as they get more advanced in their careers. So there's more money because of that, but also kids start to leave the house and go off to college or get married or move out. Uh, then college is paid for and done. The grocery bills go down because you're not feeding as many kids. So with the extra cushion and extra margin, it's very tempting to add more to your life, such as maybe an upgraded house that's better for entertaining or more expensive cars or more vacations or more clothes or more eating out or more, more, more. So this formula typically does not produce happiness. Another option could be to actually buy less and to use the excess money to save and invest or to give to others. Maybe to use on experiences for yourself and your family or friends. Perhaps to help others to enjoy experiences. Maybe to help someone in need or someone with a down payment on their first house. So my mom and dad have been really good examples of this. They, the cars, they can obviously afford to buy a new car if they wanted to, but they still drive my dad's truck 
is I believe a 1991 Chevy and their Toyota Camry is probably at least 20 years old. And it just got um, dinged by another car. And instead of getting a new car, they just got that one fixed. And so they have not given in to the idea that as you have more margin, you should spend more money. They just do not do that. They spend a lot of money on other people, but they do not spend money. They've not bought a bigger house. They've not bought nicer clothes. They've not bought nicer vehicles. And so they learned a long time ago, I think, that the answer to happiness is more centered around relationships and day-to-day life than it is to accumulate more things or spend more money. So they've been really good examples of this principle. And so I think I hope to be like them. They're great role models for me and I admire and love them a lot. And so some of you can probably relate with the fact like when you go, when you anticipate a vacation for a long time, you have to work for it, you have to plan for it, you have to think about it, dream about it, and then the much anticipated time to be there has finally arrived. And you step off that plane and you feel the different kind of air in a new place. Maybe it's a humid culture when you come from a dry one, like like me, living in Utah is a very dry climate. So like when we stepped off the plane in Costa Rica and walked outside, it just there's just this feeling of adventure and awe and inspiration because we were there as a whole family and there were just so many things that we planned on doing that we were really looking forward to and it just felt so good to be in a foreign country with my wife and three kids and a lot of adventures awaiting that we really looked forward to and my wife had carefully planned out for us to do. And I remember feeling that same sense of awe the time I went to Hawaii And also the time that my wife and I went to Italy that I've referenced on this podcast. And so if a person is constantly vacationing, constantly traveling, that I'm guessing that sense of awe or inspiration of newness wears off and is not nearly as exciting as it is if you go a little less often. And so I've talked about in the past that more isn't always better, that sometimes less is more. And I think this concept kind of bleeds into the satisfaction formula, like to be satisfied in life, sometimes it's really important to manage our wants and our desires and instead appreciate our haves or what where we're already at. Now, I'm going to also talk about a couple other little topics before I finish up the podcast. So I got an email from a listener. His name is Ethan. And he said, I'm really loving the podcast. Thanks, Ethan. Really enjoy the combination of minimalism and money. 27 years old and plan to be a 100% in stock index funds for a few decades. My wife and I have been investing in Fidelity's total market index fund for a few years now with a slight tilt in, <coughs> excuse me, in Fidelity small cap index fund. I've been indecisive about getting into international index fund, but I'm ready to make the jump and stick with it. I'm planning to make it 10% of my 100% stock portfolio. Just wondering which Fidelity index fund to go with. I've narrowed it down to three that have low expense ratios, but very significantly in their number of holdings. VZILX, VSPSX, and FT, 
I'm sorry, let me say those again. F-Z-I-L-X, F-S-P-S-X, and F-T-I-H-X. Those are three Fidelity International Index Funds that he listed. He asked, do you have any suggestions? I know the lowest expense ratio fund typically outperforms similar funds in the long term, but is there anything else I should consider? Thank you again for the great podcast. So what I told Ethan is these three international index funds through Fidelity are all great choices. They will probably have very similar performance. And sometimes it's easy to kind of get caught in the minutia of investing and get a little bit of analysis paralysis where we aren't sure which fund to go with. And in the end, we'll probably get very similar results, for example, from choosing between these three funds. But there are some differences. The first one, F-Z-I-L-X, is the zero fund through Fidelity for International. So it has an, an expense ratio of 0%. So it's free, which they have a few other zero funds as well. And so it is a great choice. It has both the broad-based international developed countries, which include Europe and Japan and Great Britain. And it also includes emerging markets, such as Brazil and India and China. And it's a really nice fund. It's the one I actually use. The FSPSX that he mentioned has an expense ratio of 0.035. So it's three and a half basis points, which is super cheap. And it is pretty much 99% developed country. So it does not include the emerging markets part of the international profile. So it's mainly focused on the Europe and Japan and Britain countries. Now the FTIHX is probably the most well diversified and the most number of holdings. It is six basis points or 0.06%. And the reason why it's probably the most diversified and perhaps the best is because it has both the developed countries and the emerging markets, but it also has small cap international in it, which the other two do not. So if you're looking for a really broad index fund that covers the entire market, that one, it is the most expensive one, six basis points compared to three compared to zero. It's we're talking minimal. It's very little in the end of how much you're paying. I chose to go with the zero fund because I overweight my portfolio in U.S. small caps, and I don't feel a need to have the international small caps. So that's kind of what I told Ethan. I told him they're all great choices. Uh, in the end, the performance will probably be very similar. The cost is very similar. And it's interesting that he asked this question right before the Ukraine-Russia conflict. And as many of you know that follow the markets, there was a huge drop one day of like 2% in the market when Russia invaded Ukraine. And it's interesting because on a day like that, someone like Ethan or someone else might be really second-guessing, well, should I really be in international markets? There's so many crazy things that can happen in some of these countries. And oddly, the very next day, the market was had made up all those gains pretty much that it, it had lost. And so if you're going to choose to invest internationally, you have to be willing to deal with the ups and downs just like you do with the U.S. market. There are going to be times when it's down, times when it's going to be up. But like Ethan said, he's made a commitment to put 10% into his portfolio and he's going to stick with it. That is the key to investing is to figure out what your strategy is and stick with it no matter what. So 
that is the key to that. So I think it's important to kind of have an IPS, which is investor policy statement that is a written down document of how you choose to invest and what you're going to do in down markets, how much you're going to invest in international versus US, small versus large, growth versus value, what funds you're going to use, and basically write down so that when something happens like the Russia-Ukraine conflict, and hopefully all of our prayers are for those people right now that it can be peacefully resolved soon because it's, it's heartbreaking what's going on over there. But when something crazy happens in the world that disrupts the market that we have already before things get emotional, we already have decided how we're going to invest and we're going to stick through it through thick and thin. So during this time when we have this big down market, it's a really important time to buy and hold. Do not panic and sell. If you would have panicked and sold when the market lost all that money, then you would have locked in your losses. If you just would have waited simply 24 hours, that money is made back and back in your account. So there will be times like during the Great Recession in 2008 where the market was down for a couple years straight and it was significant. I mean, from peak to trough, it went down 50%. So we have to have the kind of metal to tolerate that and to sit through it and deal with it and trust that the markets are going to rebound. So in closing, just to wrap up the podcast for today, the satisfaction formula is the main thing I wanted to focus on during this podcast. Please uh, remember that life doesn't need to be complicated to be satisfying. A lot of people think that adding more money or more stuff or more events, more things your children are in or more whatever will bring happiness and satisfaction. Uh, I consider the opposite, that um, satisfactions can sometimes come from removing things from your life and really focusing in on the things that matter and that are really aligned with your values that really are important to you. I hope you guys all have a great week this week and that you'll consider, if you like the podcast, to give it a rating on iTunes or Spotify. And remember, the simple life is a good life.